we are aware that we have the physical capabilities of listening. We have ears to hear. But spiritually speaking, we can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And so we ask right now, Lord, that in your mercy and your abundant grace and goodness, the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts and open ears and eyes and soften hearts to make them alive to you for anyone that doesn't know you. And that your children, when they hear this, their Savior and what he has done and what he has spared us from for what he did on Calvary, what we will celebrate here at the Lord's table in moments from now, Lord. So work in our hearts as of now. Thank you for reminding us that through the hymns that we sung here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said earlier, yeah, gospel in everyday life, gospel realities in everyday life, and part of it is understanding what that means and how that implies into our everyday lives. Uh, But the application is not just simply for God's children. I know it's easy to go ahead and say, well, yeah, this is just for children. And our job as preachers is to preach to the sheep, right? That's, it's to feed the sheep. It's not, we're not here, what Edwin said last week, is to preach to the, to the, uh, to the visitor and, and, and make it all for them. And no, no, we're here to preach God's word. Yeah, to feed the sheep. But also to preach in such a way that also reaches those that don't know the Lord, right? And so our heart here, and I know that some of you perhaps here this morning might say, you know what, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. This God thing, you know what, I've heard it, I've seen it. I'm just not sure about it. That's okay. Because hopefully through the preaching today, through the message today, you'll perhaps have a different um, take on it. And there was a a, a very well-known preacher that said, you know, our lives are not made up of, of five or six big moments in our lives. It's not you born and, and, and those little special moments where you win the awards, you get married, you see your, the birth of your children, and, and you maybe you're perhaps your grandchildren, and then, you know, boom, Lord, take me home. Actually, life is made up of way more than that. It's actually made up of 10,000 little moments. And because our lives are made up of 10,000 little moments, that means that in every way, those are 10,000 little opportunities where the gospel can reach someone. And so we have to be mindful of that as God's children. And so we have to put our biblical glasses on. We have to put them on and see the world through that lens, not through the human perspective. I studied psychology, and, and you'll get so many different theories on the human mind and, and, and personalities and all these things. I can tell you right now, you can save yourself because Scripture depicts and presents exactly the problem of every human being, and that's sin. You can go ahead and say that the problem is outside of you, but Scripture says the problem is you, and the problem is me. And because it's me, we need to deal with it. We can't run away from it. And so here, Matthew, in this chapter, well, in his his gospel, he actually has 23 parables, 23, of which eight of them appear here in in chapter 13. So eight parables of the 23, so you're talking about maybe one-third of them are just here in this chapter alone. And all of them deal with the kingdom of heaven. All of them. 
So it's not a secret that Jesus spoke in parables, and you might be asking, well, what's parables? Again, Edwin has touched upon it, but for the sake of those visiting, a parable is just same, some, taking something that's abstract, this, this concept, this spiritual reality, but making it in a concrete way where you and I can understand. Just in simple terms, in layman's terms, if I may put it that way. Because it's hard for us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. I don't need to go ahead and, and read uh, some book in Barnes and Nobles and find out 90 minutes in heaven and what that's like. Because scripture doesn't tell us. But Jesus, through the scriptures, tells us, hey, let me give you a glimpse, just a little taste of what heaven is like. And of course, heaven has different angles, different. And so here, today, he's going to present us something of what heaven is like. Prior to this, he did the parable of the, of the, of the, of the, of the seeds. And mind you, the, the seed that was being sown is the word. Here, it changes. Okay? So we have to be aware of, of what's happening here and this change. So before we get into that, there's a question that we need to understand is when we look at heaven, heaven is a broad concept. What is heaven to you? Is heaven simply a place where you're going to go one day with the streets of gold? Is heaven to you the place where the mansion that Jesus said he was going to go prepare for a place for you? Is that what you're waiting for? Is heaven the place where you're going to go see your relatives and be reunited with them? Praise the Lord that we have that hope. But I submit to you that heaven is heaven because of God, not because of what you're going to obtain when you get there. Heaven is, God, is heaven because God is there, and we have to get that. In other words... Is heaven, are you looking forward to heaven because of your Savior? I hope that that's our motivation to be there. Not just to escape our problems here on earth. That's not why we look forward to heaven. I understand you might be suffering and some, I don't know everyone. You might be going through things that I don't even know and only the Lord knows. But your goal should not be let me go to heaven so that this can just, Caesar is like, Lord, I know, yes, one day, but because one paid my penalty, one paid for my sin, and one day I no longer will have to live by faith, but I will see him for who he is and worship him for all eternity. Some of us can't even begin to fathom what that's like, saying holy, holy, holy is he for all eternity. Before we get into it, one last disclaimer. If you don't understand the parable, it's okay. You're not alone. The disciples didn't understand it either. And they walked with Jesus. It says there, as we read in the text, and when he went into the house, they asked him, hey, can you explain this to us? Because it's hard. We have the ears to hear. But it, unless the Lord does the work, we can't understand it. And that's what we need to um, be aware of. But also, don't get bogged down by that. Because the Lord can deal with that, and he will. So my point here this morning is three points. You have the good sower has a field, which is the world in verse 38. The sower only sows good seed, which is the sons of the kingdom. That's verses 37 and 38. And the good sower will harvest, which is the gathering of the crop, 
verses, verse 30, and then all the way 39 through 43. Now, we need to also take into account that there's two sowers here. There are two sowers. Jesus said it, verse 37, the good sower is none other than the Son of Man. But there's also another sower, and, that's, and, he, def- and, and he describes him as the evil sower, and that's the devil. Okay, and verse 39. So let's look at the first point, which is the good sower. The fact that he has a field. It's the world. And for centuries, and even today, believe it or not, and I've heard this sermon, even talking about it with Edwin last week after, after a sermon, what I was going to preach on um, this, uh, this Sunday. He said, yeah, remember, Freddie, the, 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 the field is not the church, it's the world. Why did he say that? Because that's oftentimes what is exactly preached. That the field is actually the church, and it is our responsibility to go ahead and decipher. Mm, maybe a false prophet. Maybe a false teacher. We need to go ahead and weed those out. Okay? But that is not what Jesus says. Jesus actually tells us that the field is the world. And we have to understand that to or, in order to really proceed. If we can't get that point, then, the whole, then we just derail and we go off on a tangent. And we land in a completely different place. So let us be aware here that Jesus explicitly tells us the field is the world, not the church. Verse 27 and 28. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? He said to them, an enemy has done this. Okay? And he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. You know what that tells me? That this field has an owner. And this field is not the evil one. The evil one doesn't own the field. The one that owns the field is a good sower. It's his field. And he decides the crops that are planted. Now, we're going to get to the other part with the seeds in a couple minutes, but we need to understand this very crucial point. He, Jesus, the Son of Man, is the master of the house. Not the devil. For us, at times, it looks like the devil is really the one that's in control and, and just running rampant and like, Jesus, where are you in all these times? No, Jesus, this very moment, tomorrow, the day after, the week after, the month, until he returns, what we just saying, until you return or call me home, you will remain the owner of this field. Make no mistake about it. First uh, Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. That's Jesus. And so everything that was created was by him and for him and through him. Therefore, it belongs to him. The cosmos, the world, that's the Greek word, cosmos. Yeah, it means the world, everything in it, everything surrounding it. Jesus is using the illustration. He's saying this is what the kingdom of God, what kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven is like. And because he's the owner, he's actually opted to leave it. He didn't, he didn't choose to leave it barren. He could have, couldn't he? He could have said, you know what? There's nothing that's going to be sown. Just leave it as is. But he chose to sow good seed. And we have to be mindful of that. And because he does decide to sow a good seed, we can be assured that the seed he's going to sow is good. He's not going to show because a tree, you know him by its fruit, right? God is good. 
Scripture tells us that. And because God is good, we can go ahead and expect, not think, oh, maybe, maybe not, maybe he'll change. No, no, no. His, the fruit that God produces is always 100% of the time good. Psalm thirty-one, nineteen. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. His children say that and say, you're that good to us. You're that good for those who fear you. Oh, Lord, teach us. This is what we heard at the uh, baby shower yesterday. To teach, the responsibility of parents to teach their children the fear of the Lord. Because that's where it begins. In order for you to understand his goodness. Now, the Jewish context here. What's the Jewish context? If you're a Jew listening to this, we, have to, we can't disconnect from that, that cultural aspect as, as well. Who were the Jews? The Jews at this time, we know they're God's people. But Israel is under the control of somebody else, and that's Rome. So if you're a Jew, the mindset of a Jewish person at this time, perhaps listening to Jesus preaching at the seaside, is, yeah, but what about Israel? When is Israel going to go ahead and you know, take center stage again? Aren't we the apple of your eye? Are we not your people? Right? And so for them, this world, so it, it, Israel was at the center of it, and everything was... Was basically everything revolved around Israel. And so that's the Jewish mindset that we have to understand as well as Jesus talking to them because he's going broader than that. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is saying he is the son of man is the one that's sowing the seed. And that the kingdom of God doesn't just center around the Jewish people. It's bigger. The kingdom of heaven is way bigger. And we're going to see that in a second here. The application that we have to ask ourselves is, do we view Jesus as a truly one that's sovereign over all things? Do you view him as the one that has authority over all things? Or does he only have authority over the things that you want him to have authority over? Because what Jesus is saying is, I own the field. You might want to go ahead and wish that your company had different policies. And you might wish that your company had went a different direction when it comes to uh, uh, DNI, diversity and inclusion. But Jesus is still in control of that field. And so we have to trust that the Lord, in his judgment, knows what he's doing. And we submit to him because he owns it. So that's the field. But now we see this other aspect, which is the good sower. The second point is that the good sower only sows good seed. And verses 37 and 39, which is the sons of kingdom. He, Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. I already said that in the previous parable, that seed was the word. Now it changes. The, the seed is actually the sons of the kingdom. And so for the Jewish context now, okay, not only is Israel at the center in their view, in their mind, that means also by, it, um, I can't think of it, implicitly it also means that 
everyone else that's not Israel, an Israelite is automatically excluded. This is the problem that Peter had, if you remember. Peter couldn't fathom the fact that Gentiles were actually going to be included in the kingdom. And so we, we, we lose this concept, and sometimes we, we, have, we have to hearken back to what Jesus really meant. He's saying, guys, not only is my kingdom this big in terms of, of, of what it represents, but it also includes so much more than what you think. When we can get to Revelation and see that everybody, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship God, why do you think we get to that? Because God, in his sovereignty, not now, but from all of history, when you read all the Old Testament, that was his heart from the beginning. And so how do we get there? Well, Jesus is making it simple. He who has ears, let him hear. That's the Jewish context for them. Now, the good sower is none other than Jesus. He sows a good seed, as we mentioned earlier. And we have to think of Genesis 1. Tell me one, at one moment when, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, every living creature and everything, where in one, it, give me one verse where it says, and he doubted whether it was good. He didn't, did he? Everything that God does is always good. That was my point earlier. But despite that, him creating everything good, we still fell, didn't we? Adam still fell. Adam still decided to go the other way in Genesis 3. We read that. So the field doesn't have one sower, but two. And this is where it gets tricky, right? Because for the Jew, this weed, when you see it here and you read it in your scriptures, the tares, it's, it's Darnell, it's Zania, which is basically Darnell, which looks very similar to the wheat. So when you see these two things growing together, it's very easy for you to confuse the weed with the wheat. Even in pronunciation in English, they're very close in, in, in similarity, aren't they? And so when you actually start seeing that, you're saying, okay, well, what do we do? That's why Jesus says, oh, someone is, oh, you want me to go pluck it out? Do you want us to go take it out? And what does Jesus say? No, 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 wait, wait. And we'll get to that point in a second. The prophet Joel in Joel 3 foretold about the day of the Lord when God would judge all other nations and restore Israel to their proper glory, to their proper place. That was the prophet Joel. But what they forgot is that God is not one to be mocked. And later on we find out that he says, God is not going to turn out blind eye to sin just because you're, you're Jewish. It doesn't work that way. God knows exactly what's happening. And he will not be mocked. And guess what? Unfaithful Israelites would also be punished. This is, along with the other nations, this is the heart of, of, of the parable, is that this, is, this goes way beyond what, what, what the Jewish mind is able to absorb at this time or to make, or, or to make light of, um, to, to really comprehend, rather, is what I'm trying to say. Jesus told the Pharisees that who thought that they were the offspring of Abraham? Remember that? Oh, but we're the, huh, we're the offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, oh, right, rightly have you said that. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus actually tells them the opposite. He tells them, your father is actually not Abraham, it's the devil. In John 8. Why does he tell them that? I mean, by heritage, yes, you're right. You are. Physically, I guess, in heritage, an Israelite, a Jew. But spiritually speaking, 
you have nothing to do with what Abraham sought and the faith of Abraham. Because Abraham saw beyond that. And you're not seeing that. That's why your father is the devil. And he actually goes on to telling that. You do the desires of your father, and he describes them. Tells them that he's the deceitful one. He's the one that's a liar from the beginning. And that's actually who you're obeying right now. And some of us here this morning think that we're along those lines. We think we're children of God, and we're not. You think that you belong to the kingdom of God because you go to church or you read your Bible or you teach your kids or you send them to a private school even. But it goes beyond that, way beyond that. And for us, Jesus tells us something very important. We live in this world, but we're not of it. In John 17, we live in this world, but we are not of it. You're not called to partake and simply do whatever the world does and go along with the, with the things of the world. No, it's very different for us as believers who have put our faith and trust in Christ. This is why for evangelism, as a side note, this helps us evangelize. What do you mean? Well, we've been going through the doctrine of election here, Right? The doctrine of election isn't just simply, and I've said this repeatedly before, the doctrine of election isn't just a, a, a doctrine for us to debate. The doctrine of election is so much bigger than that, precisely because I don't know who is one of the kingdom. And because I don't know who God has saved, I get to share the good news with that person and trust that the Lord will do that work in his or her life the way he did it in mine. The person that preached the gospel to me did not think, oh, well, he must be saved or, or he not. Well, if he wants to, he can't. No. You preach the gospel and let the Lord do the work in my heart, and that's what he did. And we have to keep that mindset, even in evangelism. That is our hope as God's people because he, precisely Jesus is at the helm of everything, even of evangelism. Our hope. Do you remember when you were part of that kingdom of darkness? Can you look back? Stop for a second and look back how darkness your deeds were at that time. But you didn't see it that way, did you? You thought you were good. I thought I was good. I thought I had it together until the Lord opened my heart and my eyes to see who he is and transfer me by his grace from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. For discipleship, also, a side note, beloved, discipleship is important. We must do it. You have to be aware of the counterfeits. Part of discipleship is taking somebody and letting them know, be careful. Because there's a lot of things out there that seem like the gospel and seem like good news, but it isn't. Dayron is a banker. Deals with a lot of, maybe not a banker, was a financier. Um, but you see, he deals with people with loads of cash, loads of money, looking to invest. And I'm sure a lot of them and do a lot of philanthropy. And it seems good. It seems good. And many of them think that because of their philanthropy, they're okay. See, you're doing a good deed. Praise the Lord for that. But don't mistake that good deed for salvation. See the difference. 
one of the things that right now, uh, I'm sure that most of you in your jobs, you go through this at the beginning of, of, of the year. You have to go through all these trainings. Edwin mentioned that you have to do all these trainings. Well, one of the ones that we have to do is cybersecurity. Along with bribery, make sure that you're aware that you're not taking any gifts from customers and doing all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. You go through it. Sorry, you guys are watching. But um, you go through that, and, but one of them is cybersecurity. So much fraud going on. And one of the things that they tell you in cybersecurity is what? Be careful of all those phishing scams. All those emails, which the older population here, and I'm getting there, is, is that you, you, you're not perceptive. You click on that link, and you realize that that L is really a 1. But you clicked on the link. And now it sends you to some guy in India or in Pakistan telling you that you go ahead and need to send your money. And I can tell you stories of colleagues whose parents have fallen prey that have sent $5,000 to someone that they completely don't know about because they thought that their account was, was, was uh, their Microsoft account was, you know, in jeopardy. But again, in order for you not to fall prey, what does that require? For you to be aware. And likewise, we too, when we're discipling, we need to be aware. We need to teach patiently to others. Be aware. You might go to a church and you think that they're preaching the gospel, but then they're asking at the same time, you need to go ahead and I need to, I need to hear seven donors. The Lord is telling me right now, you need to hear seven, seven donors right now of $100,000. It happens. And they shut the doors and you don't leave until you get seven donors. We recently had it where they were screaming at someone, someone that we were aware of, and the, the, to the point that these people, I, I, I had given them a Bible, and they went to this church unknowingly Spanish, and next thing you know, they're like, I don't know if we ever want to go to a church again. They just kept on pressing and pressing for us to give and give and give. Be careful. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. We can tag along and ask the Lord to do as he seems fit. Use the word. Be. Keep your noses in your Bibles. Keep your noses in your Bibles, encourage, prod, exhort, rebuke as necessary, but always with grace and love, okay? Because Jesus has sown a good seed, and those good seeds are in different stages. If you ever think of a seed, some are fully grown, some are just starting, some are seedlings. Everybody's in a different part of that process, so be patient. The evil sower, however, has a different concept. He has a different agenda, and it has nothing to do with Jesus's. He is the one that's looking to create the counterfeit. And he's done a pretty good job. He's done a pretty good job. John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning, what I said earlier. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the liar and the father of lies. So take inventory of that. And what do you have to be aware of? Of the enemy's playbook. Be aware of what the enemy is doing. Don't be fooled. Keep your eyes open. But there's another reality here. That's only the first part. The second part is there's something bigger than this and that the reality is that there's two kingdoms here. You have the kingdom of the world, but the enemy has also set up something that looks very similar to look like the kingdom of God, which is not. And that's with precise wheat and the, and the tares. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that we've been transferred somewhere in the kingdom of darkness and others transferred to the kingdom of the sun. 
that, Im- that is implicit. That is, that is clear. There are two kingdoms on earth. One who operates that the one in charge, and I say in charge in quotes because he's not really, he thinks he's in charge, but he's not, is the devil. And then you have the other kingdom who has a good sower. And he's the one that's truly in charge. And we're going to see how this begins to work in our hearts and seeing how the Lord now is able to harvest because that's ultimately the third point. The whole point of this is not just to know that there's two kingdoms. Beloved, Jesus is making something very explicit for us here. Let me read it to you. Let both grow together until the har- let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. The barn is his too, by the way. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels, just as the weeds are gathered with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Every sower and every farmer has an agenda. You don't begin sowing if you don't have an agenda, right? And the expectation is to have a harvest. Is that those seeds that you are putting in the field, of course, requires preparation. That was a previous parable. The issue, the, 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 the field was the heart, the soil, right? The soil of our hearts. But now Jesus is saying there's this field, this world, right? And the seed is being sown in this field. But there's still a harvest process to take place. You're not just sowing to see, oh, what a beautiful little tree. And oh, You expect that that tree grows fruit because if it doesn't, what does Jesus say? Chop it up. Throw it away. Right? If it doesn't. But you also see Jesus on the other side, the patience of the farmer. Leave it there. Leave it there. Don't throw it, don't throw it away yet. And Jesus here, what he's saying is, that patience is one of his characteristics that we cannot miss. Jesus is that patient with us. The sower who wants to have a harvest and will have a harvest at the end of the age, is still patient. He's not in a rush to go ahead and say that the moment the disciples say, do you want us to go pluck it out? He says, go, do it. Get it, get it now. Most of us, if you look at me or those of you that do gardening, you see that weed coming up, you want to take it out now. You don't want to wait for it to grow big because then it's harder to take out. Jesus says, let it grow together. Let it grow. There's a harvest coming. Beloved, we cannot miss for a second here the reality of the harvest. If you look into all humanity, there's only two categories. The kingdom of the evil one or the kingdom of God. Plain and simple. Okay? Keep that in mind. Because We want to go ahead, and you let the world tell you that it's really about liberal versus conservative. Democrat versus Republican. We want to go ahead, and this is not a matter of uh, political, this is a matter of class, rich and poor. We want to believe that this is Calvinist versus Arminian. 
we want to believe that this is Baptist versus Pentecostal. Beloved, (laughs) this is not about those things. This is a reality that there will be a harvest. And if you find yourself in the wrong kingdom, the consequences are not just serious, they're dire. You cannot find yourself in the wrong kingdom. That's what Jesus is getting to. All of us belong to one or two kingdoms, either God or Satan's. And so therefore, this presents us with something very important, which is an urgency. You do not have the luxury to simply sit back and say, I'll wait. And maybe, you know, over time, I'll get there. The urgency is now. It's not for tomorrow. It's today. If you don't know Christ, you need to seriously consider your soul before God. There is no other way around it. I wish I can tell you that, you know what? One day. But if we really believe what we're saying, whether he returns or calls me home, one of two things are going to happen. For the believer, he's going to call him home. For the unbeliever, you're going to stand before God in judgment. Just watching a TV show with my son last night, and yeah, there will be a moment where you will believe, where all doubt will vanish, and you realize this wasn't what I was hearing Sunday after Sunday wasn't a fairy tale, was it? This is real. Where do you stand? Where do you stand before God? See, for me, I thought I had it. I thought I was part of God's kingdom. Went to a private Roman Catholic school. Did most of my sacraments. I mean, I thought I was pretty good. I had myself accolades. Thought I was a good son. Never been to jail. My parents never had to bail me out of jail. Good definition of a good son, right? I mean, for a Hispanic parent, that's something to be proud of. But as a comedian said, what do you want, a cookie? <laughs> You're not supposed to go to jail, right? So, yeah, you want, you want to go ahead and, and be, yeah, you know what? I, I, I felt good. I felt I was holy and righteous before God. But then one day, I began to explore the depth of my sin. And what's crazy is that when I thought I had reached the bottom, I hadn't even gotten close. You start digging, there's things still today that I think of things that I've done that, Lord, how, why? How can you take the sinner? How? Because I still think that I was, uh, you know, that somehow he, I was good enough at that time. And then I realized that even when I got to the bottom, or at least what I thought was the bottom, his grace goes further still. His hand reaches even further. He doesn't leave me down there, but he takes you out by his grace and his mercy. That is what I came to understand that one day, that one moment, that one season of my life to understand what Jesus had done for this sinner on Calvary. Have you explored the depth of your sin?
Or do you still think that you're okay? I got this. Because unless you realize that he paid it all with his own blood on the cross, on that day, you will either say, Jesus paid for me, or you will stand there thinking all your works are good enough. And you'll find out that it's all rubbish. It was all rubbish. Only the work of Christ is what stands. And so, beloved, that is your hope. That is your hope. As we partake of communion, that is exactly your hope. You don't now dwell on the fact that you were this this sinner. You're mindful of it, but then you also look forward to the cross and you know that someone paid for you. And that all of a sudden fills you with hope to know that he's not going to leave you the way he found you. Because at the end of the day, many times we think salvation is of the Lord, but sanctification is my doing. No. Salvation also belongs to the Lord. Yes, work out your faith with fear and trembling, but but sanctification also belongs to the Lord. And when you disciple, be patient, because that person might not be where you are. And guess what? You weren't there either. So be patient. And as you continue walking, remember that the Lord is taking you and he's filling you. As, as this song says, he took upon himself the condemnation we deserved, resurrected after death and promised to return, filled us with the Spirit to seal our election and protect us until the day that we share in his resurrection. That is the hope that you have, beloved. As you partake in communion now, that is the hope that you have. Take it in. Don't just simply sit there and dwell because yes, there's a, there's, there's a, a level of sobriety that you, that you sit there and you ponder, but there also that sobriety should also be met with joy because Jesus paid it all. You will not on that day find that there's one Sent that is outstanding. One, one sin that was not accounted for. It was all accounted for on the cross. Unbeliever. You that have questions perhaps and are still wondering, is this for me? Is this Jesus thing for me? This is also your hope. That you don't have to remain where you are. That you can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. By his grace, if you only look to Jesus, look unto him, the author and perfecter of faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross. That that should be your hope. You don't have to remain where you are today, but you have to come to Jesus. You have to come to him for forgiveness. For he alone is your hope, and may he be your treasure today. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, I ask that you take this now and work upon it in our hearts. Let us find joy to not just dwell on the realities of our sin and our past lives, but look to the reality that you, Lord Jesus, are changing us that you have transformed us, that you have transferred us by your grace. 
Oh, Lord, may that be all the reason why we sing louder. May that be all the reason for us to even have more joy. Because as the hymn says, we were blind, and now we see that you took this wretched man, this wretched woman, these wretched people, and you, tro- and you turned them into trophies of your grace. Thank you. And I pray, Father, that whoever here doesn't know you, that they wouldn't remain with those doubts, that you would move them to ask, that you would move them to look unto the cross and be saved. The one that was impaled on that cross for our sin and for our transgressions. May they look to him and know that there's hope for them as well, that he paid for the sins of those that put their faith and trust in him. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.